0: Please turn with me in the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke chapter fifteen. Luke chapter fifteen, beginning in verse one. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear to, to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let us pray. Lord, this is your word. and We think of the Lord Jesus Christ uttering these words for the first time in the situation presented before him, in the hard heartedness of these men, and in the sight of these repentant sinners. Heavenly Father, how we pray that we would receive not only these words, but also all the right affections that go along with them, that we would truly have the heart of our Saviour as we, we see these things. And that Lord you would use your almighty Holy Spirit, to bring us into perfect conformity to both the heart and mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name. Amen. 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 Well, we carry on in our series in the Gospel of Luke, and we have finished with Chapter fourteen and now we come to a fairly special chapter, because the whole chapter stems from a single incident. There are not many incidents, just one. And it all the whole thing focuses on just one single point. The situation is in verse one. And all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. And and you say, Wonderful that, that these tax collectors and sinners have come to Christ. This is great. But in verse 2, immediately, the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. That's the problem. That's the complaint that is being raised here. Now, I want us to see, as usual, there's some element, some shred of, of truth. If indeed the, these people were claiming to be God's people, okay, right, that's one, one element. If they were claiming to be God's people and yet living in this open, defiant, rebellion, gross sin against the word of God. Those things were in place. And Jesus was receiving them in in perfect, uncritical, affirming fellowship, the sort that he would have with his own disciples. Then they would have something to complain about. Because there are some eternally valid principles from the Old Testament law, that, that apply even today. And in fact the Word of God explicitly reminds us that they still apply. In First Corinthians five nine. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. And you you have just described exactly what these people were the tax collectors and sinners of Jesus' day. That's exactly the sort of thing that they had in mind. That list. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. So... If those things, if those conditions held, then they would have something to complain about. But as usual, the Pharisees had missed something really crucial in all that, that these weren't unrepentant sinners carrying on heedlessly in their sin, but they are repentant sinners who had self-evidently, obviously, returned to their Lord. How much plainer could it be? There they were. They had gathered themselves to Jesus. What else does it mean when a sinner draws near to Christ, receives his word, wants fellowship with him, and has left aside all those things? The same thing it means today. When a sinner draws near to Christ, embraces his word, leaves aside those other things, it means they have repented. So what is Jesus' response to them? What aspect of the Pharisees' attitude is going to draw the fire of the Savior their way? Their lack of discernment? That's a problem, don't you think? Their rank hypocrisy? It's an even bigger problem. And Jesus is going to deal with these things indirectly, certainly. But actually, the main thing that really gets them, the thing that actually he's going to zero in on and he's going to target The thing that he finds so unnatural and so inexcusable is how they are not rejoicing with him. That's the thing. Rejoicing with him at the return of these sinners. He can't believe it. And so Jesus, as very often, is going to use a parable. He's going to illustrate these things. In verse 3 it says, so he spoke this parable to him. He doesn't even begin to rebuke them and then use a parable. He just begins with a parable. And it's not just one. It's not just two, by the way. There, there's two that look very, very similar, and these are the ones we're going to deal with this, this morning. They're very parallel. But the third one actually makes the same point, in greater depth, and this time using human beings rather than sheep or coins, right? Those are the parable. Lost sheep, lost coins, lost son. They're all the same thing. This whole chapter is Jesus' revulsion of the hard-heartedness of these, of these Pharisees demonstrating in the fact that they had no interest in rejoicing with him of the return of repentant sinners. Now we're going to, this of course tells us so much about the heart of our Savior and we desperately need to know this. That's what being a Christian is all about, knowing more of your Lord. You want to know more of your Lord and this is what we're going to find out, his heart. But we'll be dealing this this morning with the first two parables, and Lord willing, we'll get to the next one next time. The title of this sermon is, We Should Rejoice with Christ. And the three points are these. One, when treasure is lost, we search. Second, when treasure is found, we rejoice. And third, when a friend rejoices, we rejoice with him. All right? When treasure is lost, we search. When treasure is found, we rejoice. And when a friend rejoices, we rejoice with him. Okay, so the first point. When treasure is lost, we search. Verse 4, what man of you, speaking to the Pharisees, by the way, Having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Many things to be said, but just A, sheep are valuable. All right? We don't think of sheep as much. Most of us aren't shepherds, but sheep are valuable, even today. And the rest of it just, just not, does not make sense. If we think that these are, are objects of little value, that it doesn't matter what happens to them. No, they're valuable, uh, treasured possessions of the man. And perhaps for this reason, then he reiterates the same point in the second parable, this time not dealing with sheep, but with coins. Because maybe not everyone's a shepherd and realizes just, just how valuable a sheep is. But everyone can relate to these coins, They were drachmas, about the same as a day's wages, okay? What woman having ten silver coins, ten drachmas? Now, that would be, each one of them would be something like 75 pounds in today's money. Imagine there is a coin that's that valuable, it's worth 75 pounds. And you had ten of them. Now, you understand, there's something valuable. And B, not only are these, these sheep... I would say the coins, but the sheep in particular are, are valuable. He is willing then to leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Okay? He's making a, a major point about leaving the others. Because I, I think you could imagine, you could say, well, so you have this valuable thing. Is it really a good idea for the shepherd then to leave these ninety-nine? Because you might think, you, you might say, well, okay, so one sheep is lost. He would, he'd, he is, he'd better off just be protecting those other 99 lest something happens to them. See, that's not the heart of the shepherd, not the heart of a good shepherd. Among other things, a good shepherd knows if he keeps doing that, eventually he'll have none. They're all going to eventually wander off and he's got to, and if he doesn't find that one, he soon enough won't, won't have the others either. But the point is the heart not just the the rationale but the heart of the good shepherd is that he is going to certainly go after a sheep that goes astray all right and that's the heart of our savior the lord jesus that's his heart luke 19:10 for they will one day will come to this and it will say for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, it is something that permeates the whole gospel of luke we 've heard it before, as I say we 'll hear it again that 's why he 's come because he is the good shepherd, that is precisely what he 's doing. that is his mission. He is coming to seek and to save that which is lost, and again it 's not just any sheep again it 's not just a random sheep, sometimes you encounter sheep, you have no idea whose these are. But Jesus is pointing out that these are the shepherd sheep. This is, this is, they belong to him. And Christ is in the business. Now look, I'll say this. You, you hear him here challenging the Pharisees. He does that. Sometimes he rebukes his own people. He rebukes his own disciples. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So he is in the business of sometimes a giving a, rebu- a rebuke when it's necessary. But let me tell you what he's not in the business of. He is not in the business of losing sheep. He, he's not doing that. Okay, that—that that is something That is something that has never happened, will never happen, can never happen. Uh, he would never lose one of his sheep. You know that from John 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. To you. Though, these, he's speaking again to Pharisees in John. You're casting them out. You're false shepherds. That's what you do. You don't receive sinners, but I do, because I'm the good shepherd. I do not lose sheep. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up the last day. Because he's the all-time greatest shepherd if there ever was an all-star team of shepherds he would be the only one on it he is the all-time greatest shepherd is not merely that he should have a large but indeterminate number of sheep you see that's that would be amazing if we went we were in heaven and we saw an innumerable company there of of sheep you'd say wow what a shepherd he he has lots of sheep that's not good enough It's not merely he has a lot of sheep and that there's some indeterminate number. He has the precise number of sheep, the exact number of sheep that the father gave him. That list that the father gave to him, all that the father gave me, it will match precisely with the inventory of those sheep in heaven. There won't be one discrepancy at all. And it must be that way. He will not be satisfied with anything else. It will be of great loss to him. Were he to have the 999,000 sheep and missing even one? Now, if that's the case, these sheep, are, the, the sheep are, are valuable. When their loss is something intolerable to the good shepherd, he's going to do something about it. He will therefore take the necessary steps to do that. See? And so it is in the next parable in verse 8. Or what woman having ten coins, silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp. Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. So the general idea is you're certainly going to be looking for it. And what is involved in looking for it is that you use the the means necessary. For instance, lighting a lamp. You need light if you're searching for something. And that's the very point of Christ's coming. He has come as the light of the world. That's the thing. That's the very first thing proclaimed, isn't it, in the Gospel of John? He says it in various places. He's the light of the world. When the Lord decided to come get his lost coin, because he cares about these things, they're very valuable to him, he lit a lamp, and what a lamp he lit. And he is sweeping the house. He is searching diligently using the means the means of grace, the word of God. He's sweeping that house until he finds it. That's what the heart of the Saviour is. That's the heart of our triune God. When treasure his treasure is lost, he's going to search for it. Now, that's pretty easy. Here's another easy point. Secondly, when treasure is found, we rejoice. It's, it's very straightforward. When you lose treasure, you're going to look for it. Secondly, when treasure is found, you rejoice. Verse five, when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. I would say when he finds it, because that much is not in question, he will certainly find those lost sheep. You can be certain of that. There's never been a sheep has been so wayward or so deviously clever that he's managed to elude the infinite skill and determination of this particular shepherd. It's never happened. A lost sheep belonging to this shepherd is as good as found. It's just a matter of time. When he has found it, what is he going to do? What is he going to do when he finds it? Is he going to, for instance, put a little marker there and call for somebody later? I put a marker next to the lost sheep. Come come get it. Oh, he lays it on his shoulders. How up close, how personal that is. He lays it on his shoulders. He doesn't keep this, the lost thing at bay at a distance. By the way, what what are lost sheep? What kind of condition are they on? They're probably not pristine show sheep at this time. You can imagine maybe doing that with a, a, a sheep that has been perfectly washed and all the rest of it. It's not like that. Lost sheep are going to be filthy and wet and nasty. But to add to it, of course, and he makes no bone, bones about that, but to add to it, there's probably the reality that this sheep is in no condition to walk home. That's the thing about lost sheep. They're in bad shape. They need shepherds. And this sheep is, is not going to be just driven home or, or in any way being required. No, rather, he's going to take the, the dirty, tired out, nasty sheep and put it right on his shoulders and he does not he doesn't he doesn't even think about it it's not even an issue of i don't know if i want to do this this sheep's going to be heavy it's a long trip none of those things even matter at all you know why first of all he's not going to he's not taking any chances at this point having found this lost sheep all right it's not that when you find something like that it's not good enough just to see it right there Oh, thankfully, I've found this extremely valuable thing which I've spent a lot of my valuable time looking for. You're going to pick it up. You're going to pick it up. You want it fully in your possession. He doesn't even think twice about it. And he's not just thinking merely in terms of practicalities that he has to bring the sheep home. Because maybe it's not going to make it otherwise. The sheep is precious to him. And it's natural and right to keep the sheep close. Because it is a treasured possession. And all that is, as it were, minor. Because what is he doing beyond that? He's found it. He lays it on his shoulders. But the point of all of this is that he is rejoicing. That, that's the business at hand, Right? You've lost something, you're going to to go look for it. But when you find it, you will rejoice. The sheep has been found and the shepherd rejoices. There's no no physical detachment. And just leaving the sheep there and putting a marker for someone else to find. He lays it on his shoulder and there's no emotional detachment either. He is involved with this sheep. And this is a source of great delight when he finds this beloved sheep which was missing. He's rejoicing. It's only natural. We would do the same thing. When treasure is found. We rejoice. Thirdly, because this is not the end of the story. It doesn't really end there. This is important. This, this tells us so much about the, the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us what he does. With a, he, he's not holding his nose at the repentant sinner. He's not keeping him at bay physically or even emotionally He's embracing these, these lost sinners. That's very important. But we move on to the third point, which is when a friend rejoices, we rejoice with him. Verse 6. This is all just in the normal course of things. This is nothing special. Jesus' his parables always have to do with that which is normal. Because that's what is that's the force of the parallel. The force of the parable lies in the fact that these are normal, everyday occurrences which anyone would find reasonable and ordinary. When a friend rejoices, we rejoice with him. Verse six When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. That's the right expectation of the one who finds some great lost treasure, the one who is rejoicing, his right expectation is that his friends will rejoice with him. Isn't that a decent expectation? I think so. In fact, if those friends, quote, friends, do not rejoice, what's the implication? You find something that you've been looking for, something that you, has been lost, and something that is of great value to you, and everyone knows it, and you found it, and you even come and say, rejoice with me. And they don't. They say, no, I'm not going to rejoice with you. What's the implication there? You would come to the conclusion that either their value system is so twisted they are not comprehending that these things are good, okay? either that one, so twisted. Imagine the woman who finds the coins and she says to somebody, Rejoice with me, I've found this, the 75 pounds that I've lost. And people look at her like she has three heads. Either their value system is so twisted they don't recognize the value of that which has been lost, or what's the other one? They're not your friends! If they're not willing to rejoice with you. They aren't your friends. Pretty simple, isn't it? When she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. And we are imagining the picture that her friends and neighbors are, are filled with smiles and rejoicing and congratulations. And they're joining in the celebration with her. And here's the crux of the matter, even beyond that. In verse 7, it says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And verse 10 Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, look, we've recently had a a sermon in the Joy series that covered this very same material. So I won't go in any great depth here. But just, just think about that. You know, when we're in sin, when we are in rebellion, when we are the lost sheep, we rightly imagine that we're under the curse and judgment of God. It's true. But do not make from, judge from that, draw the conclusion that you are then worthless to God as you returned him. Or that, that the Lord in some way is reticent to receive you. That is not the heart of the Lord at all. The very problem with Jesus is that he was receiving these infamous sinners. And rejoicing with them at their return. That's, that's what the Pharisees think. Please do not think that that's the way the Lord thinks. No, no, he, re- he rejoices. He, he's not just, in fact, when it says there's joy in heaven, remember, we're, sometimes the emphasis is on, that's amazing that the angels are rejoicing at that. That's very true. But don't forget that they're actually just rejoicing with Christ, the central figure of this party, this celebration, because he's the one who's rejoicing at the return of his own sheep there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents and so all it's not just the one who finds it but all of his friends the angels in heaven all the saints the glorified saints in heaven and every true saint on earth is going to rejoice with Christ when he receives to himself a repentant sinner What does that mean for the Pharisees? You can draw your own conclusions as Jesus left them to draw their own conclusions about these things. Because as we'll find out even as we go over the next, the very, very next, uh, even the longer parable, at the end of this entire chapter, Jesus does not spell it out for them. It leaves them to consider the reality of their own hearts. Well, what is the the application to very straightforward applications? What are they for us? The first one is surely that we should rejoice with Christ. Because that's the primary application that, that Jesus is giving to these these Pharisees and their hard-heartedness. That even in, in charity, were we to say that they were believers, that they were uh, of the people of God and we'll see them in heaven. And we don't know that. And you could just as well make a point on the other side of things, and most people do. But let's just say that they're believers. What is wrong with them? What is so twisted about their value system that they're not rejoicing at the repentance of these sinners? As I say, that's what we're, what's really happening when we rejoice when a sinner comes to repentance is that we are sharing in Christ's joy. Of course, we find it something valuable in itself. But the coin doesn't belong to us. The sheep does not belong to us. It belongs to Christ. And the joy, the central and original joy is his rather than ours. He has recovered his treasure. And there's joy in heaven as his friends and neighbors, his own brothers and sisters, as well as his his friends, the angels, rejoice with him in these things. We should rejoice with Christ. May the day never come that we think so highly of our own moral performances. That when a sinner does come ugly and, and dirty as they might be, and they will be, right? That's just the thing. They're not going to be show sheep. They're lost sheep, and they've come to repentance. That we hold our noses and say, why Would the Lord be happy with such a one? May the day never come, but rather that we rejoice in the amazing goodness of God. And and if nothing else, we just remember what the Lord is thinking in heaven, that he is rejoicing. And were we to refuse to rejoice with him, what does that say about us? secondly that obviously means that we ought to pray for the lost you know because the lord he has lit a lamp he's done that he has sent the living word of god to be the light of the world he has come searching for that which was lost that was his job and he is still doing it how long has it been he's been doing it a long time and how long has it been since we have seen a sinner come to repentance and faith. You know what? If it were last week, that's already too long. It's already too long. There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around us. Brothers and sisters, when we're in our right minds, we are on our knees praying for them all the time. Doing whatever is in our hands, yes, but primarily we are praying for them because we're praying to the Lord of the harvest he has to send out workers we're praying for the lord of the harvest to bring in his harvest we're praying for the holy spirit to bring sinners to us we might minister to them we're saying we're asking the question is there a coin around here can we help you look for it lord is there a lot of sheep around here can we find it we have to we have to have the same sense of the treasure of these things that the lord does himself And if the Lord has given us a a flock of a hundred, that we can't be satisfied with 70. The Lord has given us a flock of 70. We can't be satisfied with one of them. goes astray, can we? In doing this, I know I condemn myself. And it ought to be our heart that we pray earnestly and, yes, do what is in our hand for the return of these lost sheep. We pray for the lost. Thirdly, of course, we rejoice with those who rejoice. That's one of the, the, the principles involved here. It's kind of only one part of the argument, but it's something that's worth repeating here. Because Romans twelve fifteen says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Okay? That is part of the picture. So the, the greatest example of this is the rejoicing of Christ himself over the return of his sheep. Okay? But there are other causes of joy in the life of God's people, and the principle is the very same, that we should rejoice with him. Okay? So when we don't do that, when we say, I, I see this brother or sister rejoicing, but I myself will, will stay the way I am because I am more attached um, to my own feelings of, of indifference, That's not just being churlish, that's being disobedient. The Lord has made it very clear that we should rejoice with those who rejoice. And I would say, in a less clear way, when the Pharisees refused to rejoice with Christ, we're wondering are they really friends of the Lord Jesus? But in a similar way, when there's something in our lives that we are rejoicing over and we tell it to someone else and they don't also rejoice, what are they saying? We should rejoice with those who rejoice. And yes, also weep with those who weep, but the point today is rejoicing. Fourthly, just a reminder of the good news here, that there is joy in heaven when when someone comes to repentance. Now, the thing is, the joy comes, think about it. So here's here's the sheep out there somewhere lost, And may well not be able to make it back on their own power. That's where the rejoicing thing is. That's where the, the Lord's rejoicing is. Not that someone has made it on their own, you see. The joy in heaven doesn't happen when they see a saint who has never fallen, never needs any help whatsoever, has made it to the end. In fact, that's what Jesus says. There's joy, more joy over one sinner who repents than over those who don't need any repentance. Now, we could think long and hard about what he means there. Maybe, of course, there's a a reminder that everyone needs repentance. And those who think that they don't need repentance, those who think that they they don't sin, that maybe they're not actually part of the Lord's people. And they've never been a cause of rejoicing in heaven. But the point is, the rejoicing is not over the saint who makes it. It's not over the Christian who performs everything and therefore has made it to the end. And they're applauding the sheep who has wonderfully, the the sheep that's pumped up with steroids and has made it. No, no, no. The rejoicing is the weak, ugly, diseased sheep that is on the back of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. Do you understand? That's where the rejoicing is. Because he's the winner, not us. Christ is the winner. He is the the supreme shepherd. He's so wonderful. That's what the the rejoicing and the celebration in heaven is about. He's done it. Again. He's done it again. We know. You see this when you, you wonder. Oh, there's a hard case out there. This sheep has wandered very far away. And, we, and, and the, the angels, and, the, and the, the, they, they say, I don't know if he can rescue this one. This one's a hard case. He's too far. He can't do it. Not that one. He's beyond all help. The one who so far surpasses David in all of his exploits as a shepherd. You know what he did with the lion and what he did with the bear and how he rescued the little sheep from their, their grasp. This, this one who so far surpasses and he does it again. And the heavenly crowd rejoices in jubilation that he's done it again. It's amazing. The highest expression of joy, of course, is for Christ himself. As they, they celebrate these victories of the Lord, the Lord himself is the one who is rejoicing in that which he loves. He's not just merely interested in it. He is, of course, the owner of these sheep. And it is delight to bring you home. Brothers and sisters, that is the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unsaved people, those who are not believers, those who have not repented, those who are not at the Lord's table and table fellowship, this is for you. This is the heart of the, the savior. You are valuable to him. And he is beckoning you. And he is coming to to take you. Were you the least interested in receiving his goodness and his forgiveness? He is willing. He is able. Receive him in faith. Now, I just want to add one-fifth application here because something that, that strikes me is the fact that the Pharisees were criticizing what I would regard to be the most attractive, most beautiful thing, most amazing, wonderful thing that could ever be said about anyone. That the Lord Jesus Christ here is rejoicing in the return of these horrible people. And, and that is such a, a wonderful manifestation of the grace and glory and mercy and goodness of God. It is amazing to me. And what does Jesus get for it? Criticism. I want us to know that innocent people may suffer criticism in this world. Because if you thought that if you ever hear a word of criticism that you are to blame for it and you must immediately change what you're doing, then you'd be wrong. Because that would be true of the Lord Jesus. Right? He's being criticized by it. And maybe, you know, what? another Lord may have said, well, you know, maybe the Pharisees are right. Maybe I should stop having my celebration with these repentant sinners because it's drawing criticism upon me and that may da- damage my ministry. You know, these Pharisees could, could harm my ministry in various ways. And so I'd better refrain just a little bit from showing so much emotion and, 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 re- and embracing these sinners the way that we do. Well, no, of course he's not going to do that. Now look, I want us to understand that as... as someone who frequently needs a word of correction I'm not saying to ignore valid words of of correction that come particularly from those who are spiritually appointed over you I have those who are appointed over me in the presbytery and and the, the Lord has appointed the elders here over you and if the criticism comes from that kind of source or something akin to that a trusted Christian friend then we listen to it. It is foolish not to receive the counsel of the wise. But if there's criticism of a different sort, we have to understand and weigh whether it might possibly be the kind of criticism that the Lord Jesus Christ did at the very moment he was doing the most beautiful thing that he did. And if so, may the Lord grant us the the, the stability and the courage. To carry on. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are wonderful beyond all imagination, and Lord, it is it, is, it was you who sent the Lord Jesus Christ, and He who who went freely on a mission that would surely claim his life he did not just come to beat the, the bear and, and kill the lion and for himself to remain unscathed as a great messianic type David, King David did I'd rather Lord that this work would claim his life Lord, we know that the heart of these things is revealed and that he wanted to get his sheep back and he would do absolutely anything to do it. He would lay down his life in order that there would not be even one missing. Lord, we know it is not just the work of of redemption accomplished at the cross, but of the ongoing application of these things that we rejoice in. We know that he is not resting but day and night, he is diligently searching for and seeking out through his church, through his word and his spirit, those who have gone astray. And Heavenly Father, we know that every last sheep will be there, present and accounted for in the end. And Lord, with these things, how we pray for the lost. How we ask, Lord, that you would bring sinners to us so we might minister to them. How we pray, Lord God that you'd be calling to the ministry of this church through our own words, through our own interactions with people, that you, Lord, would be bringing many sinners to repentance. Lord, we want to share in your joy. We pray, Lord, if we've done a poor job in the past of rejoicing, that, Lord, you'd give us another chance and that you'd send other sinners. Now we pray, Lord, you'd recall and recover to us those who have gone astray. Lord, that we might rejoice with you in these good things and the recovery of these things which mean the very most, your most treasured possessions. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.